Well, good morning, church. So thankful to be with you this morning. Last week, Ray Fender was our guest preacher, and Ray is um, a senior at Northwest Nazarene University, and she has been interning with Pastor Ben and I for the last couple of years. And it has been such a joy to watch how God has grown the gifts and talents that she has. And um, we were so thankful for her willingness to break open the word for us. So Ray walked us through the parable of the bridesmaids and the lamps of oil. And she reminded us that we need to remember our unique role as the church in the world and, and what Christ has invited us to be a part of in this season that has held so much conflict. She reminded us that the church is to be breathed in by God and to be breathed out by God into the world. And this morning, Jesus shares another example back to back with this parable from last week to illustrate what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus is still on his journey to Jerusalem where he will ultimately be crucified. So these words that, that Jesus shares, these parables are, are, are all parables that I want to listen to extra carefully because if these were your last words, if you had one point that you really wanted people to understand before you were no longer with those people, what would it be? And, and for Jesus, these are his words. These are what was most important for him to be communicating in his last days. And it was all centralized around what the kingdom of God is like. So would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 25 this morning as we continue to hear from Jesus. Matthew 25 verses 14 to 30 and I'll be reading from the Common English Bible version. The parable of the valuable coins. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who was leaving on a trip. He called his servants and handed his possessions over to them. To one he gave five valuable coins and to another he gave two, and to another he gave one. He gave to each servant according to that servant's ability. Then he left on his journey. After the man left, the servant who had five valuable coins took them and went to work doing business with them. He gained five more. In the same way, the one who had two valuable coins gained two more. But the servant who had received the one valuable coin dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five valuable coins came forward with five additional coins. He said, Master, you gave me five valuable coins. Look, I've gained five more. His master replied, excellent, you are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Come, celebrate with me. The second servant also came forward and said, master, you have given me two valuable coins. Look, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done. You are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Come celebrate with me. Now the one who had received one valuable coin came and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man. You harvest grain where you haven't sown. You gather crops where you haven't spread seed. So I was afraid. And I hid my valuable coin in the ground. Here, 
You have what's yours. His master replied, You evil and lazy servant. You knew that I harvest grain where I haven't sown, and then I gather crops where I haven't spread seed. In that case, you should have turned my money over to the baker so that when I returned, you could give me what belonged to me with interest. Therefore, take from him the valuable coin and give it to the one who has 10 coins. Those who have much will receive more and they will have more than what they need. But as for those who don't have much, even the little bit they have will be taken away from them. Now take the worthless servant and throw him into the farthest darkness. People there will be weeping and grinding their teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I recently heard a story from Dr. Carla Senberg where she shared about a time when she was in youth group as a teenager. And she shared about this activity that um, their youth pastor did that has still made an impact on her today. She said, the story goes like this. She said that there was a morning uh, in church on a Sunday with Sunday school where her youth pastor handed out envelopes to each and every one of the students in the youth group. And in each envelope, there was a little bit of money. Now the youth pastor didn't give any context, didn't give a lesson, didn't say anything about it, just handed out these envelopes with cash in them. And Carla having a sneaky suspicion of where this lesson was going, uh, she just waited for the next week, waited to see what was gonna happen. So the next week, all the students came back to Sunday school and the youth pastor asked them how they spent their money. Asked, what did you do with the envelope of money that I gave you? Now, some of the students had uh, given their money to others to benefit other people's lives, to make their lives a little bit easier. Some of them saved their money and um, some of them spent it on things they've been eyeing in the store. Um, and it, it was just this really profound lesson for Carla because she, and obviously since she still remembers it this day. Um, and so for you, as you hear this parable this morning, as you hear Jesus sharing about these three servants and their master, it's likely stirred a variety of memories or thoughts with you. Maybe it's a youth group story like Carla's. But the story is powerful because it's not difficult to find ourselves identifying with one person or another in this story, to reflect on all that we have, all that we've been given. With Thanksgiving just around the corner, we're reminded to slow down and to reflect on what we are thankful for, on what we've been given. And this passage comes to us at an incredibly relevant time. Because while this year has been full of great challenges, it has also been a time where we have seen and felt deeply all of the things that we needed to go without. The things that our children, our grandchildren, our friends have had to go without. And while it is right to be grieving over these things, we don't do so without recognizing also the gifts of what we have been given. This parable, this story reminds us that we are active participants in the kingdom of God breaking in around us. God has given us the resources of the kingdom and we are expected to use them and be actively engaged in kingdom work. 
You see, this passage reminds us in this season leading up to Advent that we rejoice in what is already. We rejoice in what God has done, but we also long for what is to come, the not yet. And it also reminds us of the growing pains of the becoming. In this parable, we see that God has provided resources to expand the reach of the kingdom. But this work they are to do with their resources won't be completed until their master returns. In the meantime, we are supposed to use all that we have for the sake of the kingdom. So the contrast here is between the faithful servants and the person who was just given one talent, right? The faithful servants used what they had in ways that grew their resources. They took initiative. They invested what they had been given into the work. And when they did, they received a return on their investment and the kingdom of God grew. But then the servant who was given only one talent didn't realize what he had. He could only see what he didn't have. He was stuck, frozen. And I don't know about you, but for me, the words of the master in this passage initially sounded really harsh and incredibly judgmental of this man. Is this the God we worship? A God who rewards the rich and makes them richer, but then condemns the poor, only making them poorer? That doesn't sound like the God we read about through the rest of scripture, does it? The God who raised up Moses to free the Israelites from their oppression. The God who flipped tables in the temple when he saw how the people were being exploited. No, this doesn't sound like the God we've read about and come to know. Then what is going on here? What is Jesus getting at? So take a step back with me, if you will. Let's look at what the servants have been given. First, there's the servant that's been given five talents, right? The, the first servant that's talked about in this parable. And a talent is worth 6,000 denarii. So the guy who was given five talents was given the equivalent to 100 years worth of wages, 100 years. And this amount was meant to shock us, right? It's meant to give us pause for us to see it being over the top. The picture is of a table that is overflowing with resources, overflowing with abundance. Then this, there's the servant here that has been given two talents, 12,000 denarii. And lastly, there's the guy who was given one talent, which was still 10 years worth of wages. Still 10 years worth of wages. Can you imagine being handed 10 years worth of wages, let alone 100 years worth of wages? Wow, I mean, ugh, that would be wild. So when the third servant tells the master that he knew he was a hard man, he knew that he harvested grain where he didn't sow and gathered crops where he did not spread seed, that doesn't even sound like the God Jesus has been telling us about in the other parables throughout scripture. We don't know, we don't recognize who this God is, who this master is that the third servant is talking about. So 
So the reason why this man doesn't do anything with what he's been given is because he doesn't understand the character of God. The God who is slow to anger, abounding in love and rich in mercy. So was the master actually as harsh as it seems in the initial first reading of this passage? Or could it instead have been that this man had not spent enough time with the master to know who he was, to know his heart? So instead, the servant operates from a place of fear. And that place of fear causes him to hide what he has, to not do anything with it. I would almost venture as far as to say that this man who was given one talent instead of two or instead of five wasn't looking at the fact that he'd been given 10 years worth of wages. He was looking at what he didn't have. And instead of owning up to his choices of inaction and what drove them, instead he puts the blame on the master. Church, as a community, what are we doing with the abundant gifts and resources we have been given now? What are we doing with the abundant gifts and resources that we have been given now? Do we trust who God is? Or have we been operating from a place of fear? Because the thing about fear is that it sometimes leads us to make incorrect judgments. I can think of many instances over this last year where we have seen folks acting out of fear and it being the wrong choice. The toilet paper shortage and the hoarding of resources for one. And these choices made out of fear can often end in someone getting hurt. When I think about 2020 and the hoarding of resources, I think about all of the people who have had to go without because some people took more than what they needed. And in this text, fear leads to a miscalculation of who God is. This man was more afraid of who the master was than trusting in him. And when we start from a place of fear by misunderstanding the character of God, then we won't act out of the riches and abundance that we have that has been entrusted to us. Can you imagine what the return would have been like if the man who was given one linked up with the others and invested what they had collectively? Can you imagine the exponential growth and return so instead of having, you know, one denarii or five denarii or two denarii, there was eight. Can you imagine? Because the truth is just because the man who had the least monetary amount, just because the man who had the least monetary amount doesn't excuse him from participation in kingdom work, from active participation in kingdom work. They were all entrusted with gifts that when invested bring a return. And this can be this can be something that we wrestle with, right? Because we think, Lord, I only have this much. And yet 
because this man saw what he didn't have when he said, I only have this much, he acted out of fear and put it in a hole instead of using what he'd been given. Friends, God is not holding back from us. God has given us all of these incredible resources. And these resources are meant to be multiplied. They're meant to set an abundant table for all. I think there's a vision here for God's people that Jesus is inviting us to see. A vision that takes the talents God has given us and invests them boldly. We are charged with a responsibility for this vision. Over and over again throughout scripture, we see Jesus emphasizing that faithful Christian discipleship express, expresses itself through active and ready engagement. The kind of engagement that moves us to be truth speakers and peacemakers amongst division. The kind of engagement that recognizes our dependence on God and trusts him with all that we are, all that we are becoming, and all that we have the kind of engagement that leads us to action. The obedience of trust is not a burden or something to be feared. It is instead the joy of discipleship in which we give our whole selves and in return receive joy-filled interest. And if we live with a misunderstanding of who God is, we will continue to live in fear. But if we live with a correct understanding of the God of Israel, then we can live with abandon and go for it like the first two servants did. The ones who trusted God experienced great joy. And the one who didn't trust God and made their decisions based out of fear experienced a pruning of their branches. These difficult words that were hard to hear, right? These difficult words from the master Pruning is not fun, it doesn't feel good, but it also brings new fruit. When God corrects us because we don't understand that the heart of God is love, we know that it's because God has something better planned for us. So as a church, what are our fears? Individually, personally, what are yours? What is holding us back? What is holding you back? Your pastors, as well as your leadership, have felt that God has been longing to do something new in the life of Euclid and our presence in the community for some time now. Maybe you too have felt that same pull from the Spirit. And something that I find interesting in this passage is that the master, while he gives each of these servants a different sum of money, he also gives them something else. He gives them time. He leaves for quite some time on a journey while they're to determine how to use what it is that God has been given them. In a culture that places so much value on things happening immediately, we have but become so unaccustomed to waiting. And yet we see here that even in the waiting, God still wants us to move. There is stretching and growing that happens in the waiting, much like waiting for a while, much like waiting for a child, wild child, to continue growing in a mother's womb. But as the parents wait for the little one to grow in her womb, they don't sit 
still, right? They prepare for the birth of the little one. There's movement, activity, initiative, and effort. Or maybe another way to put it is that walking with Christ isn't like waiting at the DMV till your number is called, right? It's more like, and hopefully this isn't heretical for me saying this, but it's more like Santa's workshop, right? God doesn't want us to stand here waiting idly by for him to return. And as God seeks to do something new in the life of our church, of Euclid Avenue Church of the Nazarene, from what seat are you operating? Are you just waiting for changes to happen or are you using your gifts now? Do you find yourself resonating with the first two servants in the story, trusting in the Lord and giving it all to grow the kingdom? Or are you hiding your talents in a hole while we wait? Have you just been waiting for 2020 to be over? Or does the master see you using what you have been given? Church. Can you imagine what it would look like if each and every one of us took what we had been given and went all in together? Where 10% of the people didn't do 90% of the work, where each and every person brought their whole unique selves to the table ready to serve. Can you imagine the impact that Euclid, this little church on the corner in Southeast Boise, could have in our community? Each of us each of our homes going all in, taking what little we have and trusting God with it. Whew, how's that for a vision, right? What a day. And something that is quite convicting to me as well that I noticed while I was reading this passage is that um, usually no one buries their talents without enablers. Let that sink in. Usually no one buries their talents without enablers. And, and as a church, if we're valuing the great diversity of what makes up the church, how are we then encouraging others to lean into who God has called us to be? How are we encouraging other believers to share their God-given talents? How are we encouraging those in our own homes to share their God-given talents? But I digress. I take us off course, right? So, because the thing about fear is it's impossible to become close to someone when you're afraid of them, right? It's difficult to become close to anyone when we don't understand who they are. So fear often becomes this defense mechanism to keep us separated from the other. And if we see God as this judgmental dictator that's like looking down and looking down over us, that keeps God at arm's length from us. Do we believe that God is love? Do we believe that God is near? Or are we keeping him far away? Because friends, the stakes are too high to keep putting our talents and resources in a hole. The time is now to be active and ready. And sometimes when God's future breaks into the now, this, this time of becoming, right? Sometimes when God's future breaks into the now, it comes with these 
overwhelming moments of joy. And sometimes when God's kingdom breaks into the now, it also comes with weeping. It doesn't feel good to be wrong. It doesn't feel good to be corrected. And we're coming up on this season of feast and celebration. And, and if we're not the ones that are personally celebrating, we need to remember that there are those who are not celebrating in this season. And if we're not celebrating, we need to remember that there are those that are. But the point is, is that there is a seat for all at the table. And as the church, God's love extends to all people, even those who have different opinions than us. Amen? Amen. It can be difficult to show up in a community when you don't feel like there's room for you at the table because you think differently than some. Our job is to create space where your brother knows that they are your brother and your sister knows that they are your sister despite our differences. And that who God has created them to be matters and their investment in the kingdom matters. Our calling as the church is to continue to announce a new kingdom and to embody a society that is unified by Jesus Christ, a society that is marked by the normal behaviors of generosity, our love for neighbor, and advocating for the poor and marginalized. So we remember our love for our neighbor, neighbor in the comments that we post on social media on the graphics and photos that we share. We remember our love for neighbor as we gather around the dinner table together with family, however diverse. And we remember that in our diversity, we have been given much and we have been entrusted to go all in. To trust God as we put all the chips on the table and to live our lives with radical generosity. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful, thankful for the ways that it challenges us in this season. And God, wherever we identify ourselves in this story, whichever servant we are, God, we pray that you would meet us right where we are and that you would encourage us Encourage our hearts, Lord. Encourage our hearts to be active and ready to move, to respond, to no longer hide our talents in a hole. And if, we're, if we have been multiplying the gifts that you've been given us, God, would you, would you spark a fire in us to encourage those around us to do the same? Lord, we're so thankful for the gift of your word and the gift of this season. In your holy name we pray these things. Amen.